Hi, you're listening to Ministry of Self, a podcast where we talk about the importance of understanding the self, how others can influence who you are and why our emotions drive everything. The Ministry of Self will discuss many and varied aspects to allow you, our listener, to assess and, if necessary, reshape your emotional life. I'm Jen Cromedy and I'm joined by emotional intelligence practitioner Mike Martin. Welcome to Ministry of Self. listening to Ministry of Self. Um, my name is Jen Cromedy and I'm here with Mike Martin. Uh, we are well and truly in the, let's say, the midst of our um, second series and we just want to thank people who've been already listening to not just the first series, which is obviously important to us, but the second series where we've done a bit of a deep dive in a couple of issues. So um, I'll just welcome Mike and say hello, Mike. Hello, Jen. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, in the beautiful countryside again. (laughs) It is, and we were just talking about how um, maybe there's some nice videos of of the environment that we're in that we might consider sharing at some point, just so people can understand uh, not just the environment we're in, but for me, the mindset that it puts me in as well and the peace Mm. that we have out here. It actually forces you to slow down. I think, and um, take in the air and the birds and the trees. And uh, all of a sudden, I think, Jim, when a, a frame of mind that's uh, off the road, out of the car, off the phone, and suddenly um, you can slow down and let the, the, the pace of life become what it should always be, I think. And so, I, I mean, we've obviously got some things that we'll talk about today, but just reflecting on what you just said, and funnily enough, there's a fly buzzing around so we'll probably try and get that at some point but you'll hear the fly I'm sure um, is that when you are outside of what I'd call a built environment like the city what it actually does to your mindset and this idea that as humans we are naturally meant to be I think out in let's call it nature mm. and that the beauty of nature whether it's the trees or the mountains or the river or different animals you might see they do take you into another mindset and there's Mm. I don't think I've met anyone who does not enjoy that Mm. yet at the same time for whatever reason we get stuck in this um, mode where we're either in the city or we're working or in the car and we're not looking up or giving ourselves a chance to go out and just be I suppose at peace in in the environment I think natural life therapy comes from being out in nature and uh, it doesn't give us a choice. It it, it won't be rushed Mm. and we can't rush it. Mm. So finally nature wins the battle (laughs) of pace and uh, that's great for it to do that because Mm. um, I I don't think enough people do it and I think once you find people that go there, they're almost amazed by what's there naturally for us all of the time. Mm. We just don't make enough time for it, Jen, I don't think. And that... Could be a discussion that we have, but it's it's literally making a choice about what we do with our lives. And <clears throat> I, I made that decision with my husband some time ago where we thought this is the place where we feel like we are able to not just rest better mm-hmm. and um, relax together, but also 
I'll talk about, say, if we want to talk about performance, but think better. And I think it's all deeply connected mm. and making the decision to be able to do that. And I was just telling Mike earlier, we had um, a few people come and visit us on the weekend and some of them are what I would call determined city slickers who could not imagine not being in the hubbub of a city and they said oh we're thinking how long it took to get here and you know but they got here and went we get it we Mm. get it and it's just a way to choose to live and that doesn't come with all the easy things to do just in terms of arranging how you manage things like buying your groceries or whatever it might be but the trade-off is phenomenal from our point of view and not being afraid of a quiet mind um, because a quiet mind does bring a lot of reflective thought mm. and again we don't have a lot of choice in the country i think it does make <laughs> us think about ourselves and yes. uh, what's important to us and a good dose of that uh, let's make a deal and say once a month I, I think we'll write as a prescription for everybody. <laughs> a nature dosage. Mm. So today um, I might get you to introduce what we're going to talk yeah. about, Mike. Uh, I was thinking about our first range of podcasts that look at self and all of the machinations that make up a human being uh, but seen by us, not by life influences and then looking at another stage now just at transitioning all that we've learned about ourselves so far to a stronger and better mind. I think it's uh, so. How do we get from all the things that have impacted us, such as our confidence and our self-esteem and self-worth and even positivity and things? What are we got to do to get to our mind and be driven by our own resources? And I mention things like. Our determination naturally is not influenced. It's part of our own chemistry. And what do you, when you feel determined, you feel pretty strong about what you're trying to achieve, and not a lot gets in our way. And what about our competitiveness? That's something that's not influenced as well. Uh, and you can put resilience in that uh, smart risk, desire, accountability. I want to make a point about accountability. Accountability is, is a brilliant thing. If someone says to you, you're accountable for this, that's very complimentary to your skill base. It's not saying, oh, well, you're accountable for it and that's your job as a pressure. Accountability is complimentary in every way because someone's saying to you, you can do it and I know you can, so please be accountable for it. So let's not see accountability as a pressure. Let's see it as a gift and a recognition by people to you. And I don't think people think of that gen too often in that sense. But I think we should. If someone says to me, I want you to be accountable for this, that's telling me a lot of things about faith in me from other people and from other things. So I'm just saying, uh, is it time to start trading influences uh, into natural strengths? Uh, I think it's probably a good time to start thinking about it. And for for that alone, I mean, at work, I mean, in relationships, our dreams, our mental health, all those sort of things are important to us, is it time now to shift from what we've learned from ourselves over to a place where we can go to our non-influenced assets and start to develop those? So the comment around accountability probably struck Mm. me. Obviously we're talking here about Mm. influences and in the first series we talked about putting, uh, I suppose, your emotions through the filtering process so you understood more about how 
people or things that have happened have influenced and impacted mm. against probably what would be your natural state. But this idea of accountability is one that I find really interesting because in a well, in all environments, I was going to say work, but also in personal relationships, this idea of accountability is often greeted with fear and mm. stress mm. because uh, if someone says, I'm holding you to account or mm. you are accountable for this, you do have to kind of go, well, how does that make me feel? Mm. So when I've, well, I'll say this, when I've been in a situation where I've given someone some accountability for a task, I would love them to use that mindset that you were talking mm. about, which is, wow, they think I've got this skill set to be able to deliver. And the reason I'm sort of talking about work versus other elements is when you're in a sporting environment and say you have a, a team who selects the captain as opposed to somewhere captains are imposed. But let's say the team selects the captain. That's probably came to my mind immediately where you are given a position that's accountable and mm -hmm. I've been in a position fortunate enough where I've been put in that role but I remember being oh gosh I didn't feel stressed I felt I want to live up to what they have seen in me mm. it just shifted yet at work it was a different feeling yeah when you know that you have a team around you that you respect and you are trying to aim for a particular point, like winning a game or whatever it might be, if that group have said to you, we admire whatever it is about you that we want to put you in that position of being a captain, I think that's a really an analogy that works for me. That is accountability, but accountability that made me feel so pleased that people felt mm. that I could do that. It's a very strong recognition of what you're capable of in the eyes of others. Mm. And to take it like that, it, it strengthens us up in all that we do. And we keep looking for more. Um, sometimes we can sort of say, well, okay, well, that's my responsibility. Well, okay, within responsibility comes accountability. For example, I'm responsible for A, B, C and D. But I'm also accountable for the outcomes. So what more... Uh, complementary needs do I have than that? I don't need any more than to be recognised and being able to deliver on all those areas. And it changes so many things when you start seeing things like accountability as complementary. It, it takes the pressure out. It allows creativity to be part of your outcomes. Uh, it makes you feel pretty strong within yourself. Uh, it, it, it will... Uh, you know, not challenge confidence as much. It'll, it'll allow confidence to take its rightful place at the top. And all of those things happen because you suddenly realise that someone is placing a whole lot of uh, confidence in you and your ability to deliver, which we're now calling accountability. So we want to take the fear out of the word and put it in as a solid, strong recognition for what you're going to achieve. Mm. So going back to this idea then, because responsibility was another word that mm. came to mind and I'm so glad you brought it up because you've made it really clear for me the difference. So a lot of people feel like the weight of responsibility drags them down. You know, I've got this millstone around my neck. But understanding that there's a difference between responsibility and accountability mm. and I thought maybe if we can talk a little bit about this idea of the impact or the outcome so, so many times we're in environments where, you know, the process becomes the thing, you know, your, your job is X, here's your position description or, um, you know, I'm a parent of a child that is a big responsibility. How much it supports 
my mental health as an example or other people's that I've spoken to to focus on what it is you're actually trying to achieve like what's the outcome all of a sudden it changes the nature of how you feel about it so it's not like I've got this weight of responsibility it's more about oh but if I can sit back and think about what that means and if I focus on you know the project delivery and how that might affect people in a positive way all of a sudden that I would hope that stress gets Mm. taken out of the conversation because you can't do it alone that's probably the first thing Mm. so you're not going to get uh, people trusting you if they don't understand you you're not going to get people to give you things to be responsible for if they don't think you can be accountable for the outcome it's a faith in you shown and a strong faith in you shown too. So, for example, just talking about getting into a, a strong mindset, starting to use our own natural assets now uh, rather than just, uh, you know, plot along with influences hoping that they don't damage us in the process. But what we're saying now is to be accountable to change confidence into determination, for example. Now, that's a good one. You think, well... My confidence is okay under some circumstances, but if I become a determined person, I don't need to think about confidence anymore. And if I become determined and trust myself and my own abilities, what I can do then is be accountable for the outcomes because that's that's now coming from my own internal resources and not from an influenced place. So again, when you think about if I'm going to have a great life, Jen, I'm the architect. I'm the one who's got to get from a mindset that's always been a little touchy about self-esteem, a little touchy about confidence and all those sort of things. Well, I've done all the work through the early podcasts and and I've got to a point now where I want to move on from that. So let's move into the really, really big things. You go to determination, uh, you go from self-esteem into resilience. That's a fair shift. You go from impacted self-esteem, which comes about by life, Life impacts self-esteem in many ways. But if you start to think about, well, how can I turn impacted self-esteem into resilience? And we say that's a long track. That's a long way to go. But not really if you start thinking about the fact that would you like to be in charge of your own mind? Would you like influence to keep being in charge of your mind? If you want to be in charge of your own mind, start thinking about resilience. Resilience is nothing but a faith in yourself to be able to make the mistakes, to get better at what you do, to be able to back yourself when things go wrong and to stand your ground under pressure. Therefore, you can say to yourself, I don't really need to think about self-esteem as much as I did now that I'm feeling quite strong and resilient. Now, when you feel strong and resilient, of course, your self-esteem, your natural self-esteem raises and rises strongly. So therefore, you've replaced old impacted self-esteem through resilience, to the self-esteem that we've always been after and that is genuine uh, self-love, self-esteem which makes us feel good about ourselves and who we are. So we've talked a bit about self-esteem in the first series so I'll say the language I – because I don't think I talk about self-esteem just in Mm. my day-to-day but what I would talk to myself about is my understanding of who I am as an individual and trying to understand that a lot better. And you're right, if you have a strong sense of who you are, uh, understanding then that you can have impact on others, then this idea, the words we're using, people use a lot, Mm. resilience, Mm. 
confidence, the determination one I want to touch on in a minute. But this idea of resilience says to me that I understand the things that have happened to me and I've been able to work through them. I've made mistakes, but I've learnt from them. Uh, And then from there you kind of go, okay, I can back myself a bit more. Mm. So this idea of determinism I'd like to talk about briefly because you mentioned at the very beginning about competitive nature that you don't have I think you said that your steam issues if you are focused on a competition and you're determined so probably just some um, reflections on you around if people are thinking I'm I'm really determined for a cause or something that I really want in my life how do I navigate that in the sense of not being and this is probably coming from maybe a female perspective but if women are seen to be determined to succeed or be ambitious or drive for an outcome there is conscious or unconsciously some resistance to that Mm. in our society and I even I read Mike you know I read things all the time I was reading something the other day where there is still this stereotypical view that if women are overly ambitious they're either particularly if they haven't had children or they've not got married it's like well that person is not a real woman in the sense of how society places them so Mm. I would say I'm a pretty resilient and determined person but there comes some drawbacks I would think in terms of how people are perceived and it can be perceived in a negative way particularly if others feel threatened so I don't want to be negative but that's sort of the feedback I see out there. My my version of determined behaviour is based around a knowledge that you know you can. That's the first part and what you do with that from there is to be able to set a a range of tasks and initiatives to take you there and don't take backward steps. You're going to run into all sorts of people that run into the stereotypical stuff that we talk about. So if you're determined, you can clearly see a goal. That goal will be interrupted if you give up uh, your resilience to get there, for example. So I I understand what you're saying about uh, people get a bit reticent about it. But again, let's get back to what great language looks like for a determined person. Great language looks like, look, can you help me get to this goal? First of all, do you understand the goal that I'm aiming for here? Because you're, you're the leader in my place here and I, I need you to help me to get to this goal. So do you understand the goal that I'm after? Do you agree that I can get there to start with? Do you have any reservations about my determination to get there? If so, can we go through those now and clear that up so I can take that first step? So it's like everything we talk about. It's a stage process, but what you don't do is let the energy of determination lapse. You don't give up because you think, well, no, this is just too hard. I'm, I'm not going to get this through. I'm stuck in an old culture. I can't get through. And it doesn't matter if it's uh, work or life. I'm just stuck in an old mindset, I may as well give up. So what happens then to the determination that you once had? It becomes uh, uh, almost stress. It becomes anxiety and suddenly all the goals in your life you don't go for anymore because you failed to stick to your ground in the first stages of determination, which is to get support for it. It's very important to let people know where you're headed now, the good friends will give you some advice along the way. What they won't do is say stop. So to me, I think it's really important to never ever concede on where you're headed. 
Now, determination will take you to a, a preconceived goal first. Okay, one that you know you can get there. Once you get there, you change the, the game again, so you head up for more. In the end, you are a determined, competitive person naturally, which then uh, transitions your mind away from the need for high self-esteem or the need for high confidence, just drops off dramatically in favour of your determination. And uh, the spirit that drives us is always one that looks, uh, listen, I don't care if I fail here. But if I fall backwards, I'm going to use falling backwards is going forward with a better plan they had in the first place. So again, determination is the chemistry of success along with all of the failures that can occur along the way. But giving up is not an option. And you go back to uh, you're saying about some women sometimes not having uh, being reticent in that space. Well, I wouldn't accept that from any woman at all because I know a lot of you, Jen, <laughs> you're all very interesting and I can't imagine uh, anyone knocking over a determined woman. Mm. I really can't or, or any gender for that matter but I can't imagine anyone. The only way it will happen is if you concede your position because you think that the, the road ahead's too hard and you can't get through the obstacles. And don't forget the obstacles are the ignoramuses in front of you. Mm. They're the ones who don't want you to succeed. They're the ones that know you stay in your place. And that's why we're having not enough, not enough um, strong women in places where they can make complete differences. So determination is something that's natural to us. It's not really influenced. It's part of our DNA really. And uh, at the basis of all success, because there's a person that says, righto, uh, you can challenge all you like. And I'll, I, I want you to help me and I'll keep you informed but I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping. I want to get to this goal and then I want to go from there and get another goal in place. <laughs> I haven't got a rookie error. I don't have a notepad and pen today so I'm trying to remember what I was going to say but there was a few things because um, you said something really interesting. Determinism is the chem- chemistry for success mm-hmm. which I thought I'd like to reflect on that. Because chemistry implies there's a reaction, like an interaction. So it means that uh, others need to be on the journey as well. So I thought I'd share that uh, I've been getting involved again with a particular organisation that the words that were used by some of the people involved were uh, we've lacked a bit of optimism, a bit of enthusiasm, a bit of energy. So this idea of energy, when someone comes in with, I'll call it determinism, but they bring their energy to the group, that lifts the group and the group suddenly feel like they can have hope. They can get some things done. It's like, um, you know, the law of physics, which, you know, got inertia. It's that idea of that little push that can get the ball rolling and then other people can come with you. So I suppose my question is what I've found is if people are determined to succeed and sometimes there's an obstacle in their way, the energy drops. So this idea of how do you, and again we were talking about this a little bit earlier, one of the big things I've learned from talking to you over the years, Mike, is um, almost having a protection around my energy because there are some people who will want to draw it down, who will want to sap your energy because they might put blocks in place that make it really difficult to get Mm. things done so I've tried to get better at 
identifying that, asking the right questions to protect the energy because if the energy goes, what can you don't have determinism. Mm, yeah. So I think there's a close relationship to I'd say I've got the energy to X, Y, Z rather than the determinism. Determination, we can add another couple of components to it. Part of it's chemistry. Mm. Uh, the next part to me is desire. Desires are very strong and then risk. So parts of determination require desire and risk, all of which are part of our natural function as a human. It, it, it's not that they are parts that aren't influenced again. So again, when you, you become a determined human, you start looking at the fact that you're naturally competitive. Uh, you have a degree of resilience in place. You're able to take smart risk. Uh, you are accountable for the process that you're under. All of those things put together uh, cut out the need for high self-esteem, really. Uh, cut out the need for high worth, even positivity, they cut out those things which we know are influenced. So what are we getting now in this transition thing, Jen, is to a stage where let's be that determined, competitive, uh, smart risk person that throws caution to the wind and takes on anything in front of you uh, that says uh, a block and says, no, I'm going to see through the block and round the block. I've got a desire to go to somewhere to a point of achievement that I think I deserve to go is my next base. Without that plan, without that desire, uh, it's not going to work there. But I'll tell you one thing that determination and desire does do. You enjoy the block in front of you. You can see it. <laughs> it's been there forever and you think, ah, okay then. So let's start making, let's start, um, I want to now use my language skills and my uh, accountability skills uh, for... Uh, part of part of uh, my uh, desire to get there. So anyone that's in front of you as a blocker, anyone who's been there for a long time, for example, um, you can now not have the same behaviour around them as you've done before. So now it becomes sport. So, okay, so you tell me now why my desire and determination is not achievable from your perspective. Sport. And, yeah. yeah, and you, and, and therefore, let's have a conversation about that. We haven't had that conversation before, but can I tell you up front that I'm going to go there, I'm going to take the risks, I'm going to make the mistakes, and I've got this desire to achieve something in my life. If I, if I get to that level that I achieve what I want, then I've actually transitioned my mind away from the need to feel self-esteem as a key driver and to feel naturally positive. I'm going to go to the other side where all the things that I've got in my kit bag are natural things and they are competitiveness and resilience and risk and desire and accountability. Then I'm going to try and uh, really up the ante around you. I'm going to add some creativity and faith and strong belief to all this. So now I'm fighting on several fronts. So... Uh, if you don't want to help me and if you're the person that can influence the outcome here, can you please listen to what I'm saying to you because uh, I intend to go there anyway and uh, I'd like to do that with your help because you're in a position that can sort of influence that. But if you're not with me, can you explain to me why you're not with me? 
And can you take me through chapter and verse, what I need to understand about that before I proceed, please? So there's a bit of background noise there because I was determined, Mike, to get a piece of paper and a pen because when you're talking, uh, I visualise how these all work together. Mm. So people who've worked with me know I do lots of circles and maps and I try and map how this makes sense to me because I've never felt that um, when I've been trying to achieve something that it comes back to something around determinism or to be determined. I've always thought about, as I said, my energy. I've thought about, yes, being accountability, which we talked about earlier, and then this idea of being competitive. But you're basically looking at all of these different things that happen that this is how I'm interpreting it. They all bolster your sense of determinism because the one thing you were talking about was if someone puts up a block, it's like a challenge. It's not, oh, my gosh, now I'm not going to succeed. It's... Let's understand the blockage. Let's understand who put it there, why it's there. Let's ask some genuinely curious questions because sometimes there might be a reason. There might be a risk in terms of a legal risk or a personal Mm. safety risk. So there are risks that need to be understood and acknowledged but then interrogated and potentially worked around or worked through. So when I was mapping this and I thought if I work on this a little bit later, I might take a photo of the piece of paper and put it up with the podcast because mm. when people listen to us talk and I know when I'm listening to you talk Mike I have to sit and think and reflect mm. quite deeply about what we say because on the spot they're quite the complex ideas that are simple in a way but you need to kind of think through them in your own way and yeah. the way I think through it is I draw it I draw the picture with all the words and think about what they all mean. So I've got this picture now that has determinism in a circle and then all the things that feed from it and to it, uh, energy, obstacles, chemistry, accountability, and then in the mix of all of that you said is desire and risk, which comes from that sense of natural self, which also helps nurture and support your creative self, which is, again, something I'm super interested in because – You've said this before, but this idea that when you are in a creative state, which I think everyone needs to be able to understand and tap into that more than ever, you're coming from a place where I think you've said in the past it's not hurt or damaged by what I'd call influences. Mm. And if we're able to be in that state, you're coming from a sense of I wouldn't say no fear, but you you kind of coming from that sense of I can be free to express what I think from my real self. Mm -hmm. So when I've drawn all of this, I think it just really helps me look at those words visually because people learn different ways. I'm good at listening. I'm probably not that good at listening (laughs) unless I write things down and then have a chance to hear it again later. But um So firstly, I just wanted to say thank you for going through all of that. But if you can explain to me this idea around risk and desire just a little bit more, because when you're in a position where you are determined to achieve something, I'm assuming the way you see it is the desire is kind of like the base emotion that that is... is, Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, look, desire is one of those things that's natural to our own forces. And so therefore I go back to what you're saying to make sure everything is visual. Get it on paper like we said before because as soon as you can see it, 
uh, out of your mind onto a bit of paper. You can reflect properly upon these things. We're talking, Jen, today about transitioning to a strong mind, our own natural mind. And to get there, we must, we must first of all, make real assessments of the influential parts of our mind that was discussed in many other podcasts about uh, how we feel about ourselves as a person, what our self-esteem and worth and all, all that's like. If it's impacted, it is time to start thinking about, well, why do, why do I have to live like that when I've got all these other personal assets that I can go to? Starting with the fact that I want to be a really determined human being in a controlled space. From that, I can use a natural competitiveness that I've always felt that I have but never used. That will turn into uh, a resilient thing and that will allow me to take some smart risk. But what I want to do then not just be accountable, but I want to drive this uh, huge emotion called desire behind it. And I'm going to push and shove all of these assets to the top to where my goals are. And who's going to stop me? In that side of our mind, nothing can stop us but us. We would have to lose faith in ourselves to not allow uh, natural things like determination to work. And I'm sure we don't want to do that. But when you start adding... Uh, creative forces to all this think about the strength between the two areas you got uh, compromised confidence uh, from life self-esteem that's not as good uh, worth our self-worth is is determined by others at times versus this whole range of natural uh, assets that just aren't influenced and i don't think people realize that they exist to be honest i don't think we realize that determination i mean what if you get angry suddenly have to do something. What if you're in a position where you've got no choice? Well, where does that come from? That's not going to come from some poor self-esteem. That's going to come from determination. And sometimes you've got to be competitive in that space. So where does that come from when you're up against it and you have to act for you? That comes from a range of senses that are not influenced. They're not the, they're not this, the self-esteem influences them. They are natural determination and resilience uh, to save yourself almost or to not allow yourself to be pushed around by something that's just not right, or you don't concede your position on important things because you've suddenly tapped into these natural, self-driven, uh, uninfluenced forces such as determination and your competitiveness and your resilience. Look, it takes a while to think it through, but in the end when you think about it, if you're under your own steam and your own desire and you have a great desire for life, and to, to be as successful as you can be, uh, surely all of the base chemistry is right to do that. It's no longer compromised. You're now in charge of all the things that drive your life and you get them through your sense of determination and never giving in or conceding. Now, you'll make mistakes along the way and that's why life is a ladder with all the steps in it because you'll trip up some and then you'll start climbing again. But in the end, if you depend on your life being successful uh, through the, the filters of low self-esteem or low self-worth, it's never going to get to the level that you deserve to get to. If you then rely on determination and all the factors around that plus creativity, you'll make it. You'll make it because you don't have to be successful until success comes in the end, if you put it that way. 
a podcast on what is success would be interesting because, and I wasn't what I was going to say, but you ended with that, which is there's so many times I've been in situations where we're trying to, I mean, we're in a project or we're working on something um, for work and there's this concept of what does success look like? And I feel like sometimes these like, these words lose a bit of meaning, <clears throat> pardon me. So when we talk about what success looks like, we've got to be really clear, this is my view, that we are not placing people in positions where they're working out of fear because the very first thing we talked about was accountability often makes people feel fearful. Mm. So when you talk about what does success look like, I always say, okay, what are the things we're trying to achieve that's going to make things better or change people's lives or anyway, there's a whole lot of things you can do to measure. So I just thought it was interesting to use that term success and how do we ourselves measure success or feel like we've been successful? Mm. I'm, I'm not sure... It exists, mm. Jen. I'm not sure success exists because is that does that mean you've stopped? Is there nothing more? I think I think it's a, a million successes if you put it that way. I think it's an evolution, a pathway of successful life, comes about by uh, being able to reflect upon all the things that were really challenging. So can you say that being successful is overcoming really hard challenge? Well, yeah, I think you can. I think winning, uh, as we've maybe talked about before, is sort of the end game and that might last five minutes of satisfaction before you want to start the trail again of the next achievement. So I think if you – I'd rather call it um, pathway of achievements, I think, rather than success because then it can't end and then I can't ever say that I've reached the really top of something because if I've reached the really top of something – and I've got a bit of ability, I've actually reached the new bottom of something, not the top. So I need to start again. So I'm not really sure that success is is easily determined by numbers or events. Jen, I think we've really got to think about, well, it's just another point, just another point in the road of a, of a usually satisfying life. Yeah, so I've just taken more notes. So... I'll leave that and say I think maybe there's a way when I'm talking to people about, as I say, a project or something, that achievement, mm. I suppose I just get not overwhelmed, it's the wrong word, I get a little bit uh, tired of, of the same sorts of corporate speak that I hear all the time. Mm. So I try and sit back and go, what is it that we're actually trying to achieve? Yes. So I'll park that and say I think that's a really good way to work through it. The other thing that came to mind when you were talking about determinism and being in charge of your life is we haven't talked about instinct and uh, when people are, say, um, really challenged, they've taken risks, things have got very, very difficult and they become, they lose energy, you often get to a place where you feel like you can't uh, find the energy to continue for all ranges of reasons but at, at the heart of it uh, you know do we feel like we then tap into what would be the deep instinct for whether it's survival mm. uh, for life I think you said something about this in you didn't say enthusiasm for life but you mm. said something about that and it made me think that you know what what does instinct mean and 
thinking about how people perceive instinct and the more I've got to know people who have been, let's say, who have achieved (laughs) rather than success, but who have achieved things like, you know, really interesting and important things in their lives, the more I hear them talk about their instinct not I did this thing and it was measured and calculated mm. and but it was at some point in time when they've had to make a key decision they've said what is my gut what is my instinct what has been the thing that somehow I've, I've heard all of these and experienced all of these things in my life and that is that feels like the right thing to do instincts are very important things I think they attach themselves to risk and I think from those things you can progress along. Um, but, but I think sometimes our instincts, when we're not feeling great about ourselves, we don't believe in. So we don't actually follow them. And how many times does it come true? But I can tell you that instincts that are based around determination and natural competitiveness and desire, uh, you can really back those in because their natural forces at hand are just uh, acknowledging your gut instinct. That's uh, taking you to a place where even higher than you even set out to do sometimes. So believing in instinct, it's all part of it, Jen. I think it's part of uh, once it kicks in, if you're filtering through a very determined you, then I think you'll find that the instincts were more than instinct. I think they were actually outcomes ready to go even more than instinct because something's telling you to do something. And then if you're good enough to say to yourself, if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. It just means that I didn't follow my instincts closely enough. Maybe maybe I subjugated it a bit along the way and didn't quite go to the risk that I needed to go there. Okay, we'll go there next time. Next time, follow your gut completely. If it goes wrong, you know what? There's only one person in the world that will know that that's happened and that's you. So my, um, I don't know if I need to ask permission to talk about things, Mike, but I thought I might talk up something that I've been watching on television, very pop culture. And I think if people are watching it or planning to watch it, it was a really interesting exercise for me. But Robbie Williams is a pop star. I don't know if you know him, Mike. Of course I do. <laughs> so Robbie Williams. He had the meat, meat coat on him, didn't yes, he? Yes, he did. That's a rock DJ video. <laughs> I know all about it, right? But he's just they've just released a documentary, which is um, a, a Ridley Scott production. So I watched it on the weekend with my husband. But putting my, let's call it my Ministry of Self hat on, the commentary, because what they've done is they've put a whole lot of footage he hadn't seen that had been taken on his journey behind the scenes footage. And here he is now, I think he's 50 plus, watching the journey from a young kind of pop star in a group to going out on his own. But there was this point in the documentary where he completely lost himself, completely mm. lost himself. And I wrote down when you were talking, you said, um, when we are depleted, we don't trust our instincts. Mm-hmm. There's this point in the documentary and it just didn't occur to me till you said it where he's making – he'd got to the pinnacle of his career. He was doing a live recorded broad, broadcast of some concerts which like over 100,000 people, whatever it was. But he said he went on stage and he performed in the state of a panic attack the entire performance yep. which I just thought – and listening to him talk you through that when he's watching this performance was one – it was harrowing. He then had to do it again the next night because he said, if I didn't, I would have lost everything. And then from there, he virtually disappeared. And Mm -hmm. it took him years and years and years to, I would assume, recover his sense of self, 
trust because he actually said he got to the point where he realised he thought he had an instinct about something, didn't work out and he said it was the first time in my career and I assume he was in his 30s where he just felt he could not trust his instincts anymore. And I thought what a terrible place to be in to the point where obviously there was all sorts of like in the past recreational drugs but more prescription drugs at this point for him to then come full circle to be in a life where he is now with four children, happily married and understanding perhaps what it means to feel, let's say, peaceful and content. The documentary, putting it through, let's say, the filter of what we talk about, Mm. incredible journey Mm -hmm. to watch and how honest it was. He obviously went through a period of time when he was performing with talent for external needs. Correct. More than internal. Correct. And, and of course, uh, I've watched a bit of Robbie Williams. I, I like him as a character. Well, I've been to a few um, of his concerts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think he would have uh, had backstage loneliness and almost backstage depression as so many Correct. people do because it's not a real world in nope. a way. It's not like uh, a guy like Jimmy Barnes who is good at the back, is at the front. Right. But essentially... Uh, I would have thought that if that's what Robbie Williams is sort of reflecting upon now, it's a great lesson for us all. If you're born with a whole lot of talent, just make sure your life's in it and it's not there for the benefit of others only. Uh, Like we've said before, everything that we've got as gifts, uh, it's there for sharing, not for giving. And I think if if you look at it like that, you've got to be really happy with what we're doing, whether you're an artist or a singer or whatever you are or even a great CEO. Uh, You've got to make sure that your life is is serving you and you don't fall into that trap of getting all of your accolades from what you're giving and being looked upon as, oh, isn't this a genius, isn't this fantastic? I'll go and that was a great concert, only to find that uh, the artist is back in the in their shed uh, feeling really down about it. Uh, so that that's a great message, I think, what you're talking about there, Jen, for life in general. Yeah, so funnily enough, I was thinking about it going, mm, maybe I should send Robbie the podcast. Not that, you know, you can get through to someone like that probably as easily as others, but it reflected because when you are really following someone in your life, so listening to their music, I mean, you don't know them, but listening to their music, reading things about them, going to their concerts, when they have that sort of journey, it is really personal even though you don't know them because you've seen them perform and you've appreciated whether it's the lyrics they write or so I'm not quite, as I know you are, I'm quite connected to music and it's been a really personal journey for me to see some of the people I've really admired as musicians have these significant personal issues, whether it's drug-related or early death, and it just hits you a lot harder then, you know, I think people are really surprised by how hard it hits them. Well, that gets back to what we're talking about today and that is to make sure that all of our life influences are are not uh, constructed by uh, other people looking in and making judgments. I mean, for example, there's been a lot of brilliant musicians uh, go early and make decisions to go early uh, from life because they think, well, I've reached a pinnacle now. What if it fails? What if my next concert fails? What if my next gig fails? What am I going to do? Then I can't handle that. That's not something I can handle. That means that they haven't really built up all of the uh, resiliences for life that they need along the way. We've got to realise that the most gifted people, I think, are the ones that uh, are at the most vulnerable if they're not careful. 
and that is your gift is something that is your 5% of you, not your 95 And I think that's where it's gone wrong for so many people. If you're represented by a gift, and I, I remember reading a little bit about Pavarotti, uh, who's brilliant to the extreme, but he would, he would often... Uh, not amuse himself by saying that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's when you come down off uh, a concert, it's a long way down and to get back up needs another concert. And, and that, was, that was really telling to me. And to, to me, a happy-go-lucky guy that likes eating ice cream like that should be walking the streets of Napoli happily after a concert, but that wasn't always the case. I know that with sports people. I know that with uh, some people in business that really don't spend enough time fulfilling their own personal needs as a human being enough so that when your gift then is out there for people to look at, it's just the gift that you're sharing, not one that you're representing yourself through. This is probably on a major tangent and I'm sure we'll probably have to wrap it up, but... um so I compare what you're talking about with Pavarotti performing and imagine the energy that comes from a crowd when you're performing. Mm. I think it would take incredible self-knowledge, strength to not let that immerse you because obviously when you're performing, and I know this just from speaking to people in a crowd, you feel the energy mm. of the audience. Mm. And so people who are feeding off that energy and love the live performance, I thought it would be interesting to see how they manage that. You use Jimmy Barnes as an example yeah. who might be able to protect his energy. Uh, nowadays I think he can. Right. Mm. So the opposite being, and I'll talk about another love of mine who is Barbara Streisand, mm. who had an incredible fear of performing live, yet you look, she is now, oh, I shouldn't know how old she is, but let's say she's 70s, maybe pushing 80, I don't know, Um but she's been able to preserve a life for herself mm. outside of the spotlight, yet continually, I think there's a new album coming out, Rob was telling me she's going to be on something soon, but I thought watching someone like her, I regard one of the greatest singers I've ever heard, mm. being able to preserve a life outside of what I'd call that mm. popular celebrity limelight, and somehow she's been able to understand her her ability to nurture her talent but at the same time have a sense of self, I'm assuming. Yeah, look, we've got to get down to brass tacks there. Uh, Our life is much more worthy than the gifts that we offer from it and and because otherwise how do the close people to us, how do they get close to us if we just represent itself by gifts? They don't. We need to say, I mean, one of the best coaches I've ever worked with in a coaching sense, would be regarded in the world as one of the best coaches in his field, who has said to me many times, I just want to make sure that people like me as well. And uh, I said, well, well, I don't because I know you. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure people do. But that was so important to him to know that his life was not based around what he could deliver as a coach. And I say the same for all gifted people and there's many, many of you out there, and may I say you may not know it yet, so start searching, get creative and find out what you're brilliant at. But don't let that represent you. Let that be a gift that you share and not something that defines you because then uh, there's so much emptiness once the performance finishes. That, uh, and I've witnessed this many a time, Jen, and it's a sad thing. So we are... Um, 
decided as a human by those who love us the most, not not by the brilliance that we offer from time to time. Uh, so I think that's a great lesson for us all to learn. And I might say I'll sort of say we'll wrap it up because this conversation as per normal goes into all the directions but it's something you said on the epilogue which we did to first series with the interview with Anna where you said the mental health of young people are the sum of all of those who love them. Mm-hmm. There was something you said yeah. and I remember it hitting me really hard which is exactly what you're saying again. I am saying that and I'm saying that uh, everyone who, who – uh, we are the mental health of all those who love us. It's as simple as that. Mm. We are their mental health. And uh, it's up to us to feel responsible and accountable in the right way for our own life so that all of those closest to us can enjoy their day and enjoy the countryside and enjoy their freedom knowing that we're of good, sound mind with great mental health and uh, we'll only pass away when it's our turn. Yeah, so on that I'll say um, shout out to Robbie Williams mm. as in the personality that is Robbie Williams and Rob who is the person I was so thrilled to see where he's got to in his life because I feel like there's been so many who haven't been able to get through that journey and he's obviously had some people there who loved him and have supported him and he's hopefully able to now live a life well into his elder years Um, I'm sure he will because I mean he's he's a great character Mm -hmm. as well and he's funny he is and all of he's just realizing now that to be able to hold a note Mm. is a very small component of his true character correct Mm. well look I might say thank you again that's been like for me as per normal a fantastic conversation to have with you Mike and I hope um other people will be tuning in and let us know what they think okay thanks thank you for listening to the Ministry of Self podcast. Mark and I believe that it's for all of us to think about who we really are or what we can become if we're emotionally strong and fulfilled. The gifts accorded to us such as creativity, skills, beliefs and strengths are all much more enhanced when linked to our healthy emotions. If you're interested to reach out, you can contact us via links in this podcast description. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you keep listening to the Ministry of Self podcast.